You're listening to the Haney Company Financial Guy Show. No nonsense, just a crazy mix of life, business, the funny, and of course we're going to talk about your money. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. What could go wrong? Welcome to another episode of the Haney Company Financial Guy Show. I'm here with an old friend, Mr. Robert Fogarty. And uh, I'm pretty excited for us to talk cars, something that uh, I, I guess I'm kind of surprised I haven't had an episode yet discussing this because it, it comes up all the time. Uh, so I'm really glad that you can make the time today, Rob. Thanks for joining me. Yes, thank you for having me, Brian. So um, I always prepare people. The first four questions are the most challenging, require the most mental energy, so let's just get right into it because uh, we want to make sure that you have enough mental energy for the rest of the conversation. So if you could have dinner with any famous person and, and alive or dead, so historical figures of note uh, count, who would you want to have a meal with? Hmm. I mean, I think famous person, you know, having to do with like the auto industry, you, you, you definitely want to go back and talk to like a Henry Ford or something about you know, what he did to transform, um, you know, personal transportation across the globe, really. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like on the newer side of things, you, you, Elon Musk, but I don't know if I could stand dinner with him for a long period of time. I feel like I wouldn't know what he was talking about half of it. Um, so I'd probably go with like a Henry Ford as, you know, one of the first, as one of the, you know, famous people dead or alive that I, it would be very interesting to talk to. No, that's awesome. You know, it's really, I, I think, and I'm going to have to go back and do a listen. I think, though, that you're probably one of the first people, not specific to just an industry, but who said they wanted to have, I would consider him like an inventor, you know, not just a, you know, a historical auto figure. But, um, and I don't know if we've had many inventors uh, or people that, you know, had that kind of entrepreneurial that have, that have, that have come up. So, uh, Kudos for that. And yeah, I mean, I mean, you've been to the, you know, I've been to the Ford Museum and just, you know, it, we take these types of things for granted, but that was, that was transformative. I mean, that was bigger than that was. I mean, it, you know, it started the industry that I work in, uh, you know, over a hundred years ago in a lot of ways. And um, I think it would be very interesting to talk to him about, you know, what he saw back then to what it is now um, in terms of personal transportation. Yeah. No, I love it. Awesome. All right. What's the number one thing on your bucket list right now? So I, I think the most, the, the number one thing changed recently. Um, you know, my son is seven and we recently, you know, for the first time he's kind of get, he's in a lot of sports, he's into all of it, but you know, he was, we started talking about the Super Bowl and, um, he got into that and he watched, he stayed up late and watched most of it. And then about a couple of weeks ago, he was just like, dad, I'd love to go to a Super Bowl with you sometime. So to go to a uh, Washington, I guess a Washington commander's Super Bowl game with my son would probably be number one bucket list item now. Love it. Great. And I also love, we're projecting the hope and the optimism. Yeah. I feel like our team yeah. needs, we've got to, we got to start putting it out there. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Especially for those of us that grew up with, 
you know, the uh, the last great Super Bowl experience from back in the 90s. Geez, it, it seems like a lifetime ago. Well, it was a lifetime ago. So, yeah, right. it, it, my first one of my first memories was going to the NFC championship game when I was six or seven at, at RFK against yeah. the Vikings. Just one of the, and I remember going to the 91 playoff games, and it was something that my family, you know, we had season tickets forever. So it'd be something, it'd be great to share something like that with my son now. Awesome. All right. I, I'm, I'm going to steal that one as well. I don't think it'll make it to number one, but uh, that's now on my list also. So good. What's the place you want to visit the most in the world that you haven't been to yet? Um, I'd love to go to like uh, New Zealand. I just it looks looks really nice. <laughs> okay, I like yeah. it. Yeah, not close, but I like not it. Yeah, Aust- Australia is on my radar, and you know, I guess if I if I make it there, I might as well hop over to New Zealand, something like that. Okay. Yeah, this looks beautiful. So very cool. And besides this show, what other podcasts do you listen to that you would recommend? Um, I really like to listen to stuff that, you know, I'm a big sports fan, so I like sports and, and comedy and kind of unwind. Most of the time I'm listening to podcasts either while I'm working out or driving to and recently most driving to and from the office. So I listen to a lot of Pardon My Take, which is actually a barstool sports podcast, which is the number one sports podcast, I think, in the country, but just a combination of kind of comedy and sports, you know, fits me well for what I, what I want on my drive to and from work. I love it. No, I mean, one of my favorite podcasts is, is a, is a comedy one as well. How did this get made? And I think I've, I've perused some of the sports ones or definitely perused the one that you mentioned. So it's, yeah, I kind of like, uh, you know, my, my wife's very different in that. I think she really likes ones that are meaty, um, or make you think, or just, you know, and I guess I can get into those from time to time, but more often than not, it's kind of, I want to, I want to laugh, smile, um, have, have things kind of high level, not feel like yeah. I have to like mentally engage all that much. Although sometimes that can be a benefit, but all right. Yeah. My, my wife's into the real crime, uh, podcast, which I don't know how she can just fall asleep listening to, uh, a story about someone getting murdered, but it just, it seems to work for her. You know, it's interesting you say that because I'm hearing more and more people saying that they love some of those types of shows. There's a lot. It's a, it, there's like a whole. Yeah. I mean, it's got a huge following and there's more and more of those shows and she'll just listen to it and just go straight to sleep while she's listening to it. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I guess whatever works. It's better than a sedative. So, all right. Yeah. <laughs> <We'll take it. laughs> all right. I love it. Well, Let's talk about you now. Let's tell the audience what you do day to day. What's your nine to five as my car specialist expert? So I am, uh, I am the president and owner of Sport Automotive. We have a Honda, Chevrolet, and Cadillac dealership in Silver Spring, Maryland. Um, and, you know, my, I, I own the dealerships now with my brother, and we kind of, we kind of uh, share – our responsibilities and do a good job. You know, what he's good at, you know, is stuff that, you know, he wants to do and he's good at. And, and I kind of do a different role. So um, a lot of the stuff I do is kind of, um, you know, in terms of financials, contract negotiations, manufacturer relationships. Um, I'm also walking the floor a lot 
it's a people business, so you kind of kind of be you got to be around, you got to be walking the floor. It's not something it's not something you can easily do from home. Um, so during COVID, you know, we've been operating the whole time, and I've been at the dealership the whole time. But you know, try to touch base with all my managers on a daily basis, go over what's going on, any customer issues or complaints that need to get taken care of, um, any employee. Um, issues or, or complaints or uh, things that are going well, things that are going poorly, what we need to fix, what we need to um, do to change, you know, change things. We have 185, 190 employees right now. Um, so really trying to get an understanding of what's going on on a day-to-day basis. And then, you know, it's kind of my job to help facilitate the people on the ground dealing with customers on a regular basis to make sure that their job is as easy as possible and as quickly and efficient as possible. Um, so I see my job as kind of a facilitator to the real customer-facing people, which are you know, salespeople, service advisors, parts counter people, service technicians, and the managers that are dealing with customers on a day-to-day basis. No, that's awesome. And, uh, and I remember you're sharing that uh, it's, it's, it's a fourth generation family owned operation you got going on. So hanging the hat like like our team uh, working with family. How's that been? It's good. Uh, you know, my, my great grandfather started it in uh, 1950 and he quickly realized it wasn't for him and got and basically passed it off to my grandfather, my grandfather, which was his son in law at the time. And they had both previously worked for General Motors. So, um, and it was called Hicks Chevrolet and was located in downtown D.C. where all the dealerships were at the time were in downtown. And then he moved the dealerships out to Silver Spring and renamed it Sport in 1968. Um, he kind of saw a vision for an auto park um, model, which is where we are now, and uh, built up an auto park where there's now uh, 14 brands located out. And back then it was a cornfield. Um Working in the family business is obviously interesting, difficult, um, a lot to deal with, especially during transitions um, in ownership, like we just went through with my father, um, working with my brother on a day-to-day basis. Uh, you know, we're best friends, but obviously sometimes we disagree on how we would run, want to run things, and, <laughs> and you got you got to fight through that because on Sunday he's coming over to celebrate your kid's birthday. So it's it, you can't you can't carry it with you for too long and. And so far, we've, we've been able to manage it very well. And, you know, as I said, we, we complement each other very well. Um, what he does well is stuff that, you know, I let him go and run with and, and, and vice versa. What I do well and what I like to do, um, he kind of stays out of that. So it's, um, it's, it's been a good working relationship. Yeah, well, and, and knowing you both as well as I do, I, I can tell that that you you definitely more often than not optimize both of those roles and have everybody in the right seats on the bus. So it's good. Now, I, I, I know, and then yeah, exactly what you're saying. I always call it like the Thanksgiving dinner conversation, right? Whatever's going on, we still have to have Thanksgiving dinner together. So we exactly. gotta figure it so out. You, you, yeah, you know, you you get in a, you get in a battle about something on the, or the way you want things to be run, and then the next day you're talking about you know, family stuff or everything else that's going on in your life. And we we both have short memories on that, and we've been so far so good. And working with my father was great as well. He kind of, when I got into the business, he kind of let me, you know, run the dealer, the Honda dealership the way I wanted to run it and stayed out of the way. And But he was always there if I had any questions or needed any help with anything. No, that's awesome. And there's, you know, as an industry, 
is let's transition and kind of talk about the auto industry, especially given uh, what we have experienced as a nation over the last few years. Um, but it's an industry. You said it best. It's a people business. And I, and, and it, you know, I don't know, I couldn't put my finger on the thumb of the statistics, but there's an overwhelming majority of dealerships that are family owned and operated, if I'm not correct. Oh, yeah, still, for sure. And, um, and you know, there, there's a lot of public, there are publics and people know about some of the public sonic um, and, and things like that. Uh, but there is a lot of money coming into the industry from private equity firms mm -hmm. um, and, and, and more public financing availabilities because of how expensive um, these dealerships are to buy these days. It's just with the land that they operate on, which is large property, large properties, and the amount of money it takes to kind of finance the business, you have to kind of raise a lot of capital unless you're a large family-owned dealership group um, to purchase another large family-owned dealership group. Mm -hmm. When Warren Buffett got into the auto industry, a lot of people started to say, and I think that was probably 10 years ago, a lot of people started looking into it as an opportunity to invest some some different capital into the business. Yeah, I, I, I remember what you were talking about because I remember how interesting that was for a lot of people to kind of say, when, once he kind of put cashes his chips into any kind of particular stake, it says a lot about what he sees from an industry return standpoint. And it's always a long-term deal. Like he, he doesn't yeah. kind of pop in and out of things. So that's interesting. Yeah. And I mean, and, and we've seen, I think, some parts of the landscape of it change, you know, things like Carvana and I'm even pronouncing that right. But I think at the same, at the end of the day, the, the majority of it still retains this very dealership customer focused uh, experience model that has at least worked for, for as long as, as far back as, as we can remember. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, and it's important because you know, you look across every district or, or county or across the country, and there's a, there's a local car dealership there that serves those clients that are local to them with people that live in that area, and they're a large employer of everywhere. You know, we have 185, 190 employees right now, and in our auto park alone, there's probably, you know, 1,200 employees, if not more. And, you know, auto dealership, and we're in a large area, you know, but if you go into smaller towns and cities across the country, and it just makes that ability to get your car, you know, to buy a car, sell a car, get it serviced, to have that, the, know that it's being done by people that are local to you, that live in your, and work in your area, and uh, you know them, um, is important. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and as as a uh, as a client of sport, uh, I can attest personally to to the great experience I've had and and why that's so important. I think you know uh, we'll we'll touch on this now and then dive into it a little bit later. But you know there is that pejorative of you know the ugly car salesman or the used car salesman that people have tend to have a negative connotation. But I you know I I've overwhelmingly found that that is not an accurate description as to how things are. And I'm sure it exists once in a while, but um, that's certainly not the model that I know you all operate in. And frankly, successful car dealers in general. Talk about that. Talk about, you know, what are the things that you and Gibbs focus on 
to operate really successfully? What are your top priorities for both selling and servicing? Because I know servicing is another part of that car ownership experience that I think um, people don't always connect the two together, but it is. It's pretty important. What does that look like for you? Well, I think, you know, you mentioned the, you know, the used car salesman and, and you know, that is, uh, I think that a lot of dealerships and I think that's, that is not the norm. That is the rare exception. And, you know, it stems in a large part because, you know, buying a car, it's, it's pretty much the one thing that you buy in the United States where you're negotiating price. And that becomes difficult for people. But, I mean, besides for buying a house every once in a while, you know, a car, you don't go and buy a, a suit and start negotiating or, or a watch or anything else or your groceries or anything else in this country. Now, there's other countries and cultures where, where negotiation is a part of the business. But, you know, I think it stems from that. And that's, it's not a, it's not negotiating price is not a fun thing that anyone really wants to do. It's not something we want to do. It's not something the customer wants. So, you know, one of our goals is to try to shed that label and, and be very customer focused. Um, you know, we, you know, you, you'll find Gibbs or myself driving a customer's car in from work to help them so they don't have to come into the dealership because they're busy and they need a car to borrow and I give them my car and I'll drive it in to work. And Gibbs is doing that all the time. Um, trying to allow our managers and salespeople and, and staff to fix problems for customers ahead of time instead of having to say, hey, let me go talk to my manager or let me go talk to the owner. Try to give them the, the ability to answer directly and, and, and give them some insight and say, hey, listen, you know, if, if we get to a problem or something goes wrong because everything's never going to work perfectly, you know, make sure that the customer leaves here happy, whatever that takes. Because, you know, you, it takes a lot to gain a customer, um, but once you lose one, um, you know, it's going to be really hard to get them back. And, and you know, you, we need to do whatever we can to keep a loyal, you know, sport, as we say, sport fan base um, coming back to sport because it's so important um, to just be as customer focused as possible, try to make it as easy on the customer as possible, and, and, and make sure that they're happy when they interact with us. Well, and, you know, as somebody that sees the industry um, a lot more than the common consumer does, what about the industry goes into how you facilitate that experience? What, you know, because certainly it's not a non-for-profit industry. So there are pricing points that I know you have to try to maintain uh, margins that are necessary but like you said, there's still a you know, negotiation element as well. So just talk a little bit more about that, maybe pull the curtain a little bit back on what people don't see. But you know, like you said, people want to know that they had a good experience and they got taken care of, not necessarily taken advantage of, which is what everybody's trying to avoid. How, did, how does that give and take work? Well, I mean, so right now it's a very, I mean, we can talk about the industry as a whole and right now is a little different than it is in normal times, you know, right now I have 35 cars on, Hon, let's just say Hondas. I have 35 Hondas on the ground. Three years ago at this time, I had 350 Hondas on the ground. Oh, yeah. the same I, 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 it's a ghost town at your, at your plate, man. I, I went there a couple of weeks ago and I was just like, is this really a car dealership or is this just yeah. like a, a parking lot? It's crazy. It, it's a parking lot. It is a parking lot. So if, if we hadn't redone our, um, building recently it'd be a great time to redo the parking lot if you had any issues 
with this because there are no cars on the ground. So, you know, right now it's, t- it, it's a tough spot for us because, you know, I would typically sell in the month of March as an automotive group, we would sell probably 500 cars um, between our three new franchises and two used car lots. And, you know, this month, if we sell 200, I would be surprised. So you're talking about a 60% drop in volume in overall car sales. So, and with that, you know, so right now, because demand is so high and people are willing to pay higher prices for these cars, we're pricing these cars at a higher value. Now, you know, do we make more money on these cars now? Yes, we do. But it, it also means we're going to service fewer cars in the future, and service is a big part of our business. And I can't sell six, 500 cars or try to make money on all of them. I can only sell 200 cars. So you have to make a little bit more margin to keep the lights on, make sure your, your employees are getting paid. Service business has been, still hasn't come back to where it was pre-COVID levels, just because most people are not driving to work every day and therefore putting less miles on their car and getting their service, their car service less. So, you know, the, the reason why the dealership model, you know, and that's, and that's now, and that's a little bit separate from where we are in a different point, but in under, let's say three years ago before COVID, you know, we, we have to price to market. It's always about pricing to market and trying to make sure we're getting as many customers through the door. So three years ago, I'm losing money selling cars in a lot of ways. And, and the reason I do that is because I know that, hey, maybe I can get a used car where I can make some money selling that, or I'm going to get service business from getting a new customer, and I'm going to sell, that, sell parts to that customer. So, so you're kind of using the new car as a loss leader to, to fuel the rest of your operations. And, and one of the first things I was sold, told in the business when I got into it is, you really have to look at the business and as different businesses within one. So the new car department is one business. The used car department is another business. Service is another business, and parts is another business. And when you take that, you know, the parts department's best client is really the service department because that's what the service department is buying parts from the parts department, and they're kind of run in different silos. But yeah, I mean, new cars in a lot of ways for a long time, you know, we lose money, and that's because we're trying to gain customers and trying to make sure that we're competitively priced in the market. Well, and you know, you just described something that again, I know I understand and I think about it more probably just because of what I do professionally, but I think most people don't even put that together. And, and when I think of, for example, not to, not to pick on anybody, but if I think of like a CarMax or any kind of, let's say car buying shop that doesn't also have service and parts to your point, what their goal is, is very different than what you just described. And to me that that's, that's frankly, that's something important for, I think a consumer to recognize is that you were mentioning you, you're willing to actually probably not make the same margin or lose money because you want a relationship and because you also have opportunities to, to make money in service and to, you know, have that long-term type of experience but there are some, you know, cars selling, you know, entities out there that are just, it's about the turnover and, and they don't have a long-term goal. They're not going to keep you as a customer. They just need the transaction to work out in their favor. Yep. And I mean, and you'll, and you'll see with CarMax, you know, CarMax offers a, they are a large company that has, that has refined their sales process. So, you know, they don't negotiate pricing. 
but you'll find that their car, you could, I could have the same car, and it's probably, they're selling that same car for $2,500 more because they have to make money on that car versus what I'm selling it for. And people will still buy from CarMax because, A, they're, they're huge, and they can buy up all, as many cars as possible, but they can also give you more money if you're trading in a car. Let's say you live in Buffalo, New York, and you're trading in a two-wheel drive car up there. A local dealership says, I have no, I can't do anything with this two-wheel drive car. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you, you know, $2,000 less. And you go to the CarMax, and CarMax is like, pops it into their algorithm, says, hey, I'll give you $2,000 more, and then they can ship that car down to Florida where it's worth more. So there's just, there's some scaling there that they have that allows them to be larger and, and, and offer more maybe sometimes on a trade-in or things like that. But really, when you go to buy a car there, you're spending more money than you would from a dealer. Yep. And that's, again, that's why I think it's, it's interesting and it's important for, for anyone that's trying to kind of figure this out. Well, first of all, I always, you know, when I work with clients and I talk about a car, you know, it, it's got to fit into a financial framework and, and, you know, what is it that you're really looking for? What are you going to use it for? Just like kind of anything else. But then I think, you know, I, I want to kind of get into, because there are really one of three main ways someone you know, purchases or acquires a car, right? You've got to buy it new, you buy it used, or you lease it. And so let's, let's talk through those particular scenarios, because I think that there are pros and cons and probably ideal, should I say, buyer personas for each that I yeah. think are important. So, I mean, for me, yeah, you have to really and as I tell, you know, I try to tell my salespeople, you really have to ask a lot of questions of the customer to try to put them in the right direction. Sometimes they, the customer will come in or, you know, clients will come in and say, hey, you know, I want to do this. And as you gain more and more information, you kind of have to talk to them about saying, you know what, this might be a better option for you. Um, you know, a lot of younger people in my mind that live in, for instance, in our area, and maybe they, they live in D.C. or they they're single or they may, maybe they're, they're, you know, they're married, but they don't have any kids or they're monthly price conscious. You know, I kind of steer a lot of those people towards leasing. Um, it gives you the most um, options at an earlier point in time. You know, after three years, you can either buy it, you can turn it in or trade it, or you can, you know, you can trade it or you can walk away and get something else from someone else and you're three, in, three years in and you're done. And it's also going to keep your payments the lowest out of all the options. You know, for, for younger families and younger, and younger people with changing um, lives, I, I kind of point them towards leasing. There's also the other person that is really into technology. And technology is changing so fast in these cars. Hey, you may want to lease this. It's going to be lower cost of ownership at the beginning. Your payments are going to be less. You're not going to see any unforeseen costs because you're going to be under warranty almost the entire time of your ownership. And, and then the tech, every three years, it's changing so fast that if you're really into the tech, you're going to want a new car in three years anyway. So why not lease the car? Um, you know, now, for, other, for some people, you, know, you, you drive too many miles, and that's a problem with leasing. You, if you drive a lot of miles, you can't really lease a car. Or you're like, hey, you know, I got three kids, I drive it to the mountains or to the beach, 
I need a Suburban, like that's a long-term vehicle. Like that is something where you're going to drive it into the ground. Or maybe you thinking, hey, I have a kid that's going to be 16 in five years, and I want to pass a, pass a car on to them, and then I'll get my new car. So there's a little bit of that. Um, and then, you know, on the used car side, it's about, you know, it's about understanding where you are price point wise. Hey, I want to buy a car. I need to buy a car. Maybe you don't, maybe your credit isn't to the standard where leasing makes sense. You usually, you know, the leasing department, leasing companies want very, very good credit, but you want to save some money and use cars the way to go. Um, a lot of times used cars are the better value. I would say right now that's a little shifted. Um, I think new cars, where the value is, even if you are paying MSRP, uh, used car values are so high right now. Um, you know, I read something a little while ago where if you had invested in used cars at the time of COVID instead of in the S and P, you would have made more money two year. You would have made more money in a year and a half if you just bought used. They became a appreciating asset, and and the values on them are very high right now. If you're looking to trade in your car, you're gonna have you're gonna make more money now that with 15,000 more miles than you would have two years ago, just before COVID. It's crazy. So I, I think new cars is probably a little bit of a better value right now than the used car market. But if you have a trade-in, um, it kind of evens the playing field a lot because your car is worth more now than it was two years ago. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's it's just nuts. And it's funny when you, when you mentioned kind of the uh, road warriors, what I like to call it, because I, I, I fit that category. I know I could never lease the amount. And it's, it's funny because, um, I mean, our situation as a family, we only have one car because we live in an urban area and we just, we can get everywhere essentially by walking or, you know, the Metro and all the other stuff. So we've, we've actually had that kind of a lifestyle for a while, but that means that one car is going to, it picks up all the miles. We're not splitting it up. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting how fast I got to a hundred thousand. Um, <laughs> yeah, if, and if you're if you're driving that many miles, it's just you you, you can't leasing it is not going to work for you. So, well, and you, but you, there's something else though that you mentioned that and that concept of total cost of ownership, and I think that that's that is certainly something I know that in practice I emphasize, you know, with my clients and just talking to people in general because it isn't just whatever it is that you pay either upfront for a car, and, and especially outside of COVID. A car is normally not an appreciating asset. Normally, yeah. it's a depreciating asset. So, you know, you drive it off the lot, and you're you, you've already, you know, changed the dynamic of what you could get back for it. So, why is that important, and how do you try to help people look at that when it comes to that, like you said, that car buying ownership decision? So, I mean, we have our one of our brands, Honda, has one of the best cost of ownerships in the industry. You know, the maintenance is is relatively inexpensive to other brands. You know, when something breaks, it's it's less expensive to fix in a lot of ways, especially when you're comparing it to, you know, a German Highline or something like that. Um, you know, the, the, the Japanese brands are known to last for a long time, and, and the cost of ownership is low. Um, but sometimes, you know, sometimes you don't want – sometimes you want a Chevrolet Tahoe, and you don't want a Honda Pilot. It's – it's for you, you know, it's going to be interesting now in terms of overall cost of ownership, because we saw this happen in 2007 and 2008 is, you know, if gas prices go over five bucks, what is that going to do to a lot of people that drive a lot of miles that have a truck 
or it's a or a large SUV and they're driving it to work because that you know gas prices come into that overall cost of ownership, not just maintenance and what you spend at the dealership, but what you pay on a weekly basis to get your gas filled up. And if you know you're used to paying 50 bucks and now you're paying 100 bucks for a lot of families, that's going to start making you change your opinion and say, hey, you know what? I need to trade this car in. Now's not a bad time to trade it in. The values are still good right now. I can trade it in and get a car that I can save, you know, a hundred dollars a month or a hundred or four hundred dollars a month if your gas is, you know, that and you still have a payment on your car and you're trading that in and you can get a lower cost. So there's a lot of different things that go into trying to evaluate the cost of ownership for a person um, and trying to, you know, steer them in the right direction of what what would best fit them and their family. I really appreciate it. And by the way, just as a as a total aside, but I, I'm I'm wondering how bullish we should all be on electric cars to that very point. I don't let's just say gas goes up and stays up at least for a little while. I have to imagine all of a sudden a lot more people are going to be eyeballing that as a as a shift. I don't know if you feel that as a as somebody that you know lives and breathes this stuff, but uh it, it already seemed like certainly we recognize that the electric vehicle market share was growing, but I wonder how much, you know, that's going to accelerate well, now. If, if the th- the issue is, is that there's no inventory for it. Right. So you, you even if you wanted to go out and buy an electric car right now, you're not going to be able to find one. So you're not <laughs> going to, so it's not going to shift that quickly. We're going in that direction. Every right. manufacturer has basically said, we are going to be an electric vehicle manufacturer and by 20 probably closer to 2040, most people are saying by 2030. But, you know, there's a lot in the next three to five years, there's going to be way more electric vehicle models on the road that you'll be seeing. And you and you see them just at the Super Bowl, if you're watching uh, the advertisements for the Super Bowl. All the car manufacturers were advertising electric vehicles. The problem is, is you can't, almost all of them, you can't go out and buy one t- the next day. Yep. It's about what's coming in the future. So, you know, you're not going to see this automatic shift to electric vehicles because right now you can't buy one. But, but, but you, in time, and if you have sustained gas prices this high, you, it, it will help push it even, it will push it further faster, if that yeah. makes sense. But, you know, it, it, we're going in that direction. I think there's this, there's this belief that car dealers aren't in favor of this. We are. Uh, very much. We know this is the direction it's going in. We're excited about it. I think it's going to be very transformational. Um, you know, one of the other issues is is just the the infrastructure to support it isn't quite there. If everyone had an electric car, you know, what does that do to the electric grid? What is that? Where can you charge it? If you're traveling a far distance, are you going to be able to charge it in 30 minutes? Or is it going to take you eight hours? Like, do you have to plan a stop? So there's some other things that have to go into it to really get it you know, to full, everyone's driving an electric car, but it, I mean, we're going in that direction. No, definitely. And, and, and you're right. Yeah. That's, it's, it's not always as quick of an if A then B <laughs> as much as I think some people would like to think it is, but um, you know, back, back to that total cost of ownership point, just to kind of wrap that up. I think that, you know, when, when someone's thinking about it, it really is, it's, it's, you know, how long am I going to have this, and let's make sure that we look at all of those actual expenses that are associated with the car, whether you, you know, write a big check up front and then, you know, how long is your warranty? You know, what types of things are, are not covered? How much 
are you going to be putting into maintenance? And at what point does the maintenance and the expense and the upkeep and all that, you know, I mean, all of those costs add up over time. And there are certainly some cars where that's a, a, a much lower number than others. And I think that that's probably not always something people think about up front when they just are looking at a price tag. Sometimes, you know, having a, either a higher price tag, if I know I'm going to spend, if I knew I was going to spend $15,000 less and it only cost me $4,000 more upfront, that's, that to me is a no brainer decision, but I don't think everybody recognizes that. And so, yeah, I think that that is, like you said, I, I mean, it's glad to hear that you talk through that with people. And I mean, one of the biggest things that we see a lot of times, you know, talking to you is insurance. You know, oh, yeah. people don't shop the insurance before they get here in a lot of in a lot of cases. And so sometimes they, you know, they have their insurance person already. But other times they're like, hey, who should I call for insurance? And and sometimes the insurance can come back, depending on what car they're trying to buy, higher than what the 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 monthly payment on the car we're selling them is. Yep. And 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 that can really change that dynamic of, you know, if you're buying a Honda Civic versus a Chevrolet Corvette, your insurance is going to be different based on the car you're buying. Um, and so there is some of that in that you have to take into. And obviously, it's always better to kind of do that before you come in to buy the car. So, and a lot of times we've been really pushing that now more is, hey, make sure you get your, here's the car. You're, we do a lot of stuff by appointment now. A lot of people know what they want. They, you know, especially with COVID, it got pushed even further. They know what they want. We've already negotiated the price. You know, hey, make sure you get insurance. This is the car you're buying when you come in. You're going to drive it. But get your insurance before you come in so that, you know, we're not spending, you're not spending 30, 45 minutes on the phone trying to get that wrapped up um, and extending the time that you have to spend at the dealership. Yeah, it is, it is important. And, yeah, um, it, it's it's very often one of those things where, you know, we – our process for, for insurance is, is less about price. It's more about coverage and protection. Uh, but that is, it factors into what you're talking about, you know, building, getting the car right and, and thinking about the total amount of money I'm going to spend from purchase till, you know, whenever uh, is important. And also, you know, how do I protect that over time? Mm -hmm. Because I think far too often we, you know, unfortunately, this is a, this is a challenging part of the insurance industry. It's been super commoditized, and it's kind of if you see any kind of advertising, it's always on saving money or the inference is that you're spending too much for whatever policy that you have. But for us, it's it's you want to make sure that you get the protection right, and then you can go and shop for the best price for that protection. Because I can't tell you the number of times we've had someone, you know, depending on how you write the coverage. Like we said, it's a depreciating asset, right? So if you think you paid twenty-five thousand for it, you're in an accident two years later, and the insurance company says, "Nope, it's only valued at this," and your policy is only going to write you this, you're not going to be able to get a twenty-five thousand dollar car again. You're going to get that number. Um, yeah. And you know, sometimes that's that's just not something that that everybody necessarily thinks about. But it is all of these things do have to come together the right way to make it really work for someone. Mm -hmm let's just end with what kind of opportunities or things that are out there that you would encourage somebody to consider in their car buying experience. And I know, again, it, it you know, this, it feels like this, this bubble moment of COVID, but, you know, as things start to transition, what would you want somebody to, to be thinking about? How would you encourage somebody if they're, if they're even, you know, dipping their toe in the water, what would you want them to know? 
Well, right now, unfortunately, you know, prices are high. <laughs> unfortunately, that's just that's just the way it is right now. Um, I, if you do have a trade-in, you know, it offsets some of those increase on the on the new car you're purchasing. I do think that getting to know the the dealership you're working with is extremely important, and getting to know the person that you're working with is is looking out after you. Um, I think you know there's a lot of sites and review sites and things like that where you can really kind of get a good grasp of how that dealership operates. Um, I think a lot if if the dealership's not willing or or able to accommodate for you in a number of ways, whether that is you know at home test drives or at home delivery or doing a lot of the paperwork beforehand, you may want to be looking for someone who is willing to do that. You know that's something we really tried to push forward is try to make the transaction time at the dealership as short as possible and get a lot of the legwork done beforehand. Um, you know we're not quite there where we're doing full at home, hey, you can pay with pay online and your car's just going to show up. But um, we've gotten very close to, to making it a much more convenient experience for customers. Um, and, you know, I think overall, you're, you know, you're dealing with a lot of salespeople and, and they get a bad, some bad rep sometimes, but, you know, they work nine to nine hours. Um, they work hard every day to try to help all of their customers on a regular basis and, and just realize that, that they are doing the best that they can to try to help you get the car that you want as quickly and efficiently as possible. And just understand that going into the process. Sometimes I see, you know, one of the caveats I would say is, yeah, I mean, of course shop around and, and, and see where you can get the car that you want at the best price. But I've seen a lot of people, you know, hey, I'm looking at 35 dealerships across the East Coast and next thing you know, they're just backwards and forwards on spreadsheets and have no idea what, I don't know if I talked to you yet or this person, but, you know, I think overall, I think most dealerships do a great job and, and are, are customer focused. And I think, uh, you know, do a little bit of your research up front and, and it should be a great experience. Well, and I, and I want to, I want to pull on two threads of what you mentioned. Uh, it, it's powerful. And I certainly would encourage anyone listening to this to, to, shift that mentality to recognize that the salesperson's on your team, or at least they should be, and they should behave like they are because they, they have the same goal that you do. And that's to get the car that you're looking to get. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I think a lot of times it's very easy for us to assume that they, they're just trying to, you know, make it in for themselves. Well, frankly, if, if, if they don't help you, nobody makes any money. And so that's not a win. So, you know, just going in, knowing that there's a lot of people out there that are in it for that win-win scenario, I think it's good. And, and we didn't really touch on it, but I think I just want to take a second to mention the service part of owning a car. And I and I and I applaud you because I frankly I that's the only time I kind of get to see you and Gibbs frequently is when we take our Chevy in for service. That's an important consideration I think as well for people to recognize. You want to have a good service relationship, a good service history, because it definitely makes a difference. It can reduce the cost of ownership. Uh, the better care you take of your car, the better care your car will take of you kind of thing. Um, and so I, I, I probably am putting a little words in your mouth, but, you know, I think it is important for people to think about having a good service relationship because that matters a lot. Yeah. And I, and I think to your point, you know, if you service your car at the right place where they're using, you know, factory trained technicians and, and, and parts from the manufacturer instead of aftermarket stuff, uh, you know, I do think you're going to get a little bit of a higher level of service than some other places. But, you know, it's always been said in the car industry, 
you know, our salesperson sells the first car. Our service department sells the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth car to that family or friend or whoever. You know, that that salesperson's job is to for the first one out, and they should keep in contact with that person. But it's going to be our service relationship that sells future cars and, and trying to make sure that, you know, we're taking care of the customer when they come in for service every time. We're trying to, you know, give them a good experience and, and, and make sure that their car is operating efficiently so they get as many miles out of that car as they, as they possibly can. 100%. And, and it, it, I can, again, personally attest, it's a, it's a great experience coming in and I actually enjoy it. I actually enjoy it unless, you know, depending on what's happened to me to make me come in. But it's always, it's always coming in and, and having people smiling and, and then, you know, knowing your name and that kind of stuff. That matters. That matters. So kudos to you guys. Um, how can somebody get a hold of you if, if they're interested or wanting to come out and connect? Yeah, I mean, my direct number is 240-560-5550. You can always reach me there or on email rfogarty at sportautomotive.com. You know, I always have my phone with me and I get my emails directly to my phone and I try to respond as quickly as possible. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, my brother was away last week um, he has stuff that's going on and, Hey, I'm, I'm at a meeting. Can you take care of this? And he takes care of it. I'll take care of it for him. He takes care of it for me. We got a lot of people that have been with us for a long time that I trust. Um, so, you know, we, we, we get back to people as quickly as possible. Um, and you can always reach me by email or by phone. What's that? And what's your website, your dealership website? SportHonda.com, sportschevrolet.com, um, sportcadillac.com. And then our overarching splash site is sport automotive. Awesome. Well, Robert, always great talking to you, my friend. Thanks for being on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. The information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Haney is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC.